We're continuing our journey together through the epistle to the Galatians. Last week, we learned that the law served as a guardian to us in our relationship to God, in our relationship to others, much like the rails in a bowling alley lane or training wheels on a bike that helps kids learn how to, to, to bowl or helps kids learn to ride a bike. We also explored how our primary identity as believers in Jesus Christ is that we are children of God, inheritors of the promise made to Abraham millennia ago. And what that means for how we interact with God and the rest of our brothers and sisters, our siblings in Christ. And in today's passage, we're going to discover more about what it means to be an heir in the kingdom of God as a child of God. And so I invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Again, Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we are underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had come fully, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you his heir. This is God's word to us this morning. As I said in my sermon last week, we would get more in-depth today regarding the inheritance that's available to us as believers in Jesus Christ and what that means for us. So that is what I would uh, like to highlight today as we move through this passage, to remind you that you are a child of God, as we learned from Paul last week. That adoptive relationship comes with an inheritance. With that inheritance comes responsibility. In, Jew in Jewish tradition, inheritance was passed from the father to his sons, upon his death. The firstborn son generally received a double portion of the inheritance and the rest was divided up amongst any remaining sons that were present. If there were no sons, then the inheritance would go to a daughter. And if there were no heirs, then the inheritance would pass to the man's brothers. However, the inheritance wouldn't pass to the children until the father was dead, or when the father had established a specific time that the inheritance could be turned over. Technically, the inheritance belonged to the children, but they had no right or claim on it until the father passed or turned it over. All control belonged to the father which is why Paul compares the children to slaves. They had 
very little in terms of rights or privileges until they came into the inheritance uh, that would be given to them when the time was appointed, whether it was through death or whether the child uh, would receive the inheritance at a different time appointed by the father. This is why, in part, the parable of the prodigal son told by Jesus is so scandalous in Luke 15. Despite having no right to claim his inheritance at that point in his life, the younger son went to his father and asked for his inheritance. He didn't have the right to the inheritance at that moment. His father was still living and his father had not declared a time that he could have it. Now, the father certainly could have refused the request, but the father gave him his inheritance anyway, which was well within the rights of the father to be able to do. Now, at the end of the day, the receipt of inheritance was about timing and the rights that came along with it. It came to the children with all of its rights, privileges, and responsibilities, either when the father passed or when the father deemed it appropriate to hand out. Children had no control, regardless of age, over the timing of that received inheritance. Such was the same for the inheritance that comes to humanity, that comes to us through Jesus Christ. Paul tells us in verse 4 that when the time was right, God's plan came to fruition. It was in God's timing that Jesus came to earth, born of Mary, subject to the law. He was sent that we might have freedom from the law that enslaved us, so that we might be the adopted children of God. Just as the father determined the timing of the inheritance given to his children in Jewish culture, God determined the timing of the coming of his son and the inheritance available to us through his son. Paul makes it crystal clear here that the inheritance doesn't come to us because of anything we as human beings do or any action that we as human beings have taken. It comes to us at the time chosen by the Father. When the opportunity for an inheritance does come to humanity, it came to us at the will and at the discretion of the Father. We belong to the Father as his children when we believe in Jesus. And when we believe in Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. Now, in Roman law, a person who was adopted was entitled to all the rights and privileges of the family that they were adopted into. There was no distinction legally between a biological or adopted child. And that seems to be the kind of adoption that Paul is getting at here in the text. The child of God, by virtue of their faith in Jesus, is legally, the is legally the adopted child of God. And with that, the new child of God conforms to the customs, beliefs, ethics, morals, purposes, and interests of the new family. 
Now that we've established that believers in Christ are the children of God, that they are the adopted children of God, that status as heirs, as children, comes with a gift. Paul tells us in verse 6 that the gift attached to our inheritance is the gift of the Spirit in our hearts. And it is the Spirit within us that cries out to God as Father. The Holy Spirit in our hearts is both the sign and a confirmation of our adoption into the family of God. The Spirit plays a number of roles in the life of the believer. We start here in Galatians and discover one of the roles of the Spirit is to help teach about intimacy with God. The term Abba is an Aramaic word that means father, but it has this layer of, of intimacy that is attached with it. It's not a cold term. It's not a distant term. It's one of affection. It's one of, of love. It's one of intimacy. It implies a level of close connection between the one crying out as child and the one who is listening, the one who is always, forever, listening. It's a little like this. My son Cole rarely ever calls me dad. Happens once in a blue moon. To him, I'm Jer Jer. Now, a casual person overhearing him use that name might suspect that he wasn't actually my son because he didn't use the title of dad or the title of father when addressing me. Our relationship might not be obvious from the outside looking in. However, I know when he uses the name Jerjer, there's a level of intimacy, a level of affection, a level of love that gets communicated when he uses that name for me. Jerjer is a term of endearment, one that he has for me because of the closeness that we have between father and son. The Spirit teaches us to have that same type of closeness with our Heavenly Father so that we can use that term, Abba, Father. Again, not one that is distant or cold, but one that is warm, inviting, one that has a depth of meaning to it. Even if people looking from the outside, don't fully comprehend or understand that intimacy. It doesn't take away from the intimacy that is truly there between us and our Heavenly Father. The Holy Spirit also does a number of other things for us. The Holy Spirit gifted to us convicts of sin. In John 16, verses 7 through 8, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I, go, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, 
I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When you know you've done something wrong, or when you feel that prick of your conscience reminding you that you've done something you shouldn't or you know you better not do that thing that's on your mind. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit producing conviction in you and driving you towards repentance if you've committed sin or driving you to stay away from those things that you know that you shouldn't do. In John 14, 26, Jesus tells us, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, the gift of the Spirit, as we learn and grow in our understanding of God, it is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. When we, rem when we remember a Bible passage or when we manage to say just the right thing at just the right time when we're talking to other people, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit in us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit gives us each spiritual gifts to use for the common good. The gift of the Spirit gives us gifts so that we can reach out to lift one another up as the body of Christ, to encourage one another, to teach one another, and to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. The gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit in us, gives us the gifts, equips us to be able to do the work of disciple-making that God has called us to do. The Holy Spirit also gives us strength when we are weak. He prays on our behalf when we don't have the words. Paul says in Romans 8, verses 26 through 27, that in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, that the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts know the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I don't know about you, but I have had those moments where I have been at the brink and not known what to pray, how to pray, how to even begin to approach God on a particular issue, subject, or topic. The gift of the Holy Spirit in us helps us to pray, even when we don't know how to pray. In fact, praise on our behalf. When we find ourselves weak, unsure if we're able to go forward, unsure if we're able to take that next step or to step out in faith, in the midst of that weakness, the gift of the Holy Spirit gives us strength. In Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, we learn that the Holy Spirit produces good fruit in us. Paul tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we're going to talk more about the fruits of the Spirit in, in many weeks when we get to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue to move through. But for now, it's good to know that part of the reason we are gifted the Holy Spirit as children of God is because the Spirit produces good fruit in us. And finally, the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 15, verse 16. That means the Holy, the Holy Spirit sets us apart for the purposes of God, or more specifically, molds us into Christ-likeness. If you've wondered how the fruits of the Spirit are produced in you, and how you become more like Jesus over time, it happens through the work of the Holy Spirit. God gives us the Holy Spirit that we might grow in Christ's likeness, that we might be more like him, that we might produce good fruit. Now, bear in mind, I didn't give you an exhaustive list of all the roles of the Spirit but I hope that I gave you enough to let you know just how important that gift of the Holy Spirit is in the life of a child of God. Without the Holy Spirit, there would be no conviction, no teaching, no help when we are weak. There would be no becoming more like Jesus. The gift of the Holy Spirit is part of our inheritance is a powerful gift that enables us to live the Christian life as we have been called to live it. We become the children of God through our faith in Jesus. And we are equipped and enabled to continue in the faith, to continue to live out the faith through the power, the gift of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, and marks us as children of God and heirs of God's kingdom. So then we are no longer a slave to the law or anything else, but we are children of God. We are his heirs and all that comes along with it. And as his heirs, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit to equip us for the Christian life and to draw us into a deeper more intimate relationship with our Father. And that brings me to our take-home point today, that, that main point that we can take with us throughout the week and consider. Our take-home point is this. The Holy Spirit is a gift given to us when we believe in Jesus and become children of God to equip us to be more like Jesus and to have a deeper relationship with God. Again, the Holy Spirit is a gift given to us when we believe in Jesus and become children of God to equip us to be more like Jesus and to have a deeper relationship with God. And our action point today, that practical application of our take-home point, thing that we can do in the coming week. Think about how the Spirit may be at work in you 
this week. They consider what the next step might be in that area. Finally, take that step. Take that step in faith. Perhaps the Spirit has been convicting you of a sin that you need to repent of. Maybe there's an area of your life that you know you could be more like Jesus in. Maybe you know you need to be more patient or kind or gentle with others. Perhaps you are feeling weak in your faith and may need God's strength. Whatever your area of need might be, ask the Spirit to work on your heart, give you the words to pray, or help you to walk in repentance, or give you more patience. I know that's a super dangerous prayer to pray, the prayer for patience. We've joked for most of my Christian life about not wanting to do that because God will then put something in your path that will require said patience. But it is an important and needed thing for us to pray, particularly, again, in the midst of so much division. We need to find avenues by which we might be patient with one another. And as you pray all of these things, Watch and see what the Spirit does, how it works in your life. Invite him to work. Invite him to move. Invite him to shape you into deeper Christ-likeness. And I promise you, he will show up and he will work. You might not always like what he does, we might actually have to find avenues by which we do exercise patience. But I promise you, you will show up. Spirit will show up and work and mold and change. Will convict. He will strengthen us. He will equip us. He will give us what we need to be more like Jesus. In his book, Simply Christian, Why Christianity Makes Sense, N.T. Wright, who's a scholar and author, states, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. Consider that for just a moment. And you, Believer in Jesus Christ, right now, you are God's temple. His very dwelling place. 1 John 4.15 reinforces the idea when John says, All who declare Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We are a dwelling place in which heaven and earth are intertwined. Let's not pass by that truth lightly. As a child of God, his spirit dwells in you. 
empowers you, equips you, and gives you the strength to follow Jesus in faith and obedience as his children, as his heirs in his kingdom. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for your unfailing love. We thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have provided us the way in which we can truly live out our calling to follow Jesus Christ, to proclaim the gospel, to make disciples. You enable us to do that through the gift of your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for that gift this morning. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would move in each of us in such a way that we would be more like Jesus Christ. Develop in us the fruits of the Spirit. If there be any sin in us, Lord, convict us of that and help us to walk in repentance. If there isn't any way or anything in us that is offensive to you, Lord, let your Spirit speak to our hearts to let us know so that we might repent and move forward in obedience and faithfulness. Teach us more about who you are. Teach us more about your great love for us. Make us more like Jesus Christ. We pray this in and through the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen.